0: If you don't subscribe to our Women's Performance Newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hello, Feisties. Okay. I know I say this every week, but I am genuinely excited. If I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was um, about this week's episode with exercise physiologist Alyssa Olenek. Before talking to Alyssa, I didn't realize what a massive conversation there is online and especially on social media about training with our hormone cycles and also how much misinformation is out there as well. And the fact that so many people seem to be both curious about how our cycles affect exercise and nutrition and vice versa, how our nutrition and exercise affect our cycles. This tells me that many of us, like me, kind of know from experience that there is some kind of interplay between our cycles and exercise, but also kind of want to know exactly how and what we could do differently to mitigate symptoms and perform and feel better. The truth is there's a lot of work to be done in this area and I suspect our granddaughters will look back to like the quote-unquote dark ages of the 2020s when we had no idea about our hormones and how to excel during every part of the month. This conversation is particularly valuable because Alyssa helps us cut through the noise on what we do and don't know about exercise and women's hormones and the steps we can take to improve our performance based on science. Alyssa has a PhD in exercise physiology, is a sports nutritionist, a weightlifter, and ultra runner. She is known for her high energy. If you watch her TikTok or Instagram reels, you will know that. Um, And it for sure comes across in our conversation. And her sassy approach to bringing science to your training in a no-nonsense way. Alyssa has helped thousands of women crush big lifting goals, cross race finish lines, or even do both. I hope you enjoy. Alyssa hi welcome to the podcast hi thank you so much for having me on yeah I'm so excited to talk to you like I said just before the show started I Uh, I was stuck on the tarmac in an airplane um, at lunchtime and I had already sort of written the questions and looked at your website. You know, we follow you on Instagram, but I thought, I wonder if she has TikTok. And then I started scrolling your TikTok. I think (laughs) I spent an hour watching all of your amazing content over there.
1: Well, what's funny is I think I have the most female fizz stuff on TikTok than any other platform, but it's because I I was joking with uh, heard before the start of the podcast that I go on TikTok once a month to debunk a few things and then I don't open the app again. And then I get tagged in things and I just read and repeat and like, recycle. So I guess well, we can shamelessly plug my TikTok here. Maybe this will blow it up finally. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I It's funny because I actually was like, I actually was quite impressed, you know, because we run a number of brands at, at Feisty and like you do make, you were making content just for TikTok over on TikTok, you know, and it's like just di- sort of different from what not different thematically, but just like differently presented um on than what you have on your Instagram reel. So I was like, wow, you know, you do a you do a great job on that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um so I I did I watch that video, you know, the little intro video on the front of your website. And I think you told a story about how, you know, as a young person or as a kid even you were told like you shouldn't like that you shouldn't exercise or that you wouldn't be able to be active. Is that just like I wanna I I kind of blew my mind I, like I need to get more details about this story.
1: Yeah, it's my miracle baby story. And my friends and when I was growing up used to make fun of me for my miracle baby story. But basically I was born like a week late or something like that. And um they didn't realize until like it was pretty close to my mom went in for like her checkup that I had an infection in my like amniotic fluid that I was just kind of swimming in. And I had like, I was exposed to beta strep. And then I also had an infection that like became meningitis and just my brain, but it didn't translate to my spinal cord, but they worried it was going to go down my spinal cord. And so I was very sick. And so my, they basically had, I was an emergency C-section and it was one of these things where my parents were told basically like, you know, your daughter might die in the next day. And if she survives, she's probably going to have severe physical or mental impairments. Like she's most likely not going to come out of this unscathed type thing, like super high fever, super infected, very sick. I am I might be butchering some of these details. My mom tells me the story like every year on my birthday kind of thing. And I was in the NICU for two or three weeks um, following my birth because of all of this. And essentially like I hear the stories about like they were putting needles in my head and I was pulling them out and then I failed my hearing test and I passed it and um, all of these things. And it, it turns out I come out of all of this perfectly healthy, like and fine, you know, all together. And so, you know, my there was like this omen on my life. I was very, very sick, but I basically like made it through that first night. And so that's probably why I survived. Um they basically told my dad if she doesn't live through the night, she's probably not like she pretty once she makes it through the night, she probably will be alive. But like we don't know what negative implications of this infection and the fever and all that's that's gonna have. And or if you get meningitis, I guess down your whole spinal cord. So anyway, um I came out of that relatively unscathed, you know, I was a healthy, happy baby and child. Um, but then one of the things that I had an issue with residually from my, my, I guess my, my mom's pregnancy was nothing related to that at all, but my left leg was kind of twisted when I was in the womb and it wasn't related to like having a club foot. Um, but it was kind of like just, turned in a little bit more and I've always had ligament hypermobility type issues and struggles. And so when I was really little and a kid, they always had my mom do like specific muscle extra strengthening exercises with me. And I did ballet and gymnastics really young and I had to wear special insoles and boots like all through elementary school my whole life. And I was like always in dance and gymnastics because that was a great way for me to like build strength and stability and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, I kind of had that and they try to break my legs as a as like a toddler, they try to have my mom break and recast my legs to make it me walk more normal. Cause I'm kind of inverted in my toes and I have some of these issues. And so like, basically I came into the world being told you're not going to be st- you're not going to have mental and physical function. And then I was told, well, she might never even walk normal, let alone run for that kind of stuff growing up. And then as I got stronger and did sport, dance, gymnastics growing up, my ligament issues became more of an issue as I went into like high school. And I had sports because I have a lot of soft tissues, injuries and pain. Um, And I was having some shoulder and back pain. And then when I went to the, like the doctor's during high school, I remember they try to give me a back brace and tell me to quit sports and that I couldn't do sports. It was really bad for me. And then even like, I went when I went to PT a few years ago after training for my first ultra marathon, the same issues with my legs that I had for when I was younger, they're like, you, 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 you can't run ultras. You're not physically made for it. It's, you can't do it. It's impossible for you. Like you need to quit altogether and just stop doing this. So like, I had a lot of like really negative limitations put on me physically growing up by medical professionals. And luckily I'm stubborn and I love sport, but also like my, my dad was into sport and my mom, like, you know, never really tried to stop me from doing the things that I did. And she put me into like the sport pretty much young, like dance and gymnastics, looking back, it's the best thing I ever did. But yeah, I've had a lot of like physical limits put on me by doctors and just people growing up because of that and, or feeling frustrated with my body because I do have sometimes like setbacks related to like the, the hypermobility stuff that I struggle with. Um, but yeah, I kind of came into this world kicking and screaming, I guess, and just never stopped, I suppose. But yeah, I'm always, I always was like very much so growing up, always had that awareness of that, you know, my life and my physical abilities were such a gift. And I was so mm. grateful to have them, especially once I found sport. And then I like never wanted to waste that. And I think that probably catapulted me into my career and obsession with fitness and exercise and how we adapt. Because when I was young, I was fascinated by this and I thought it was amazing. I wanted to share with everyone. But that enthusiasm was pro- probably also enhanced by the fact that like I'm like, A 45-year-old woman trapped in a 13-year-old body has the self-awareness to know that like, oh, I'm not supposed to have any of this. So like, let's make the most of it kind of thing. And so, yeah, that's my quote unquote miracle baby hypermobility story of all of my lovely physical limitations, but I never, I never let them, them stop me. Um, And so, I mean, I'm obviously here today, luckily to, you know, my parents and stuff like that, but also just like, you know, trusting myself
0: and sticking to it and saying no a lot. (laughs) And I love like that you kind of brought up that the the kind of gratitude piece. That's kind of what I was thinking, like sounds like that entire story actually not only didn't hold you back, but, but propelled you a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, physical fitness and activity and movement has always just been such a gift. And like, it's a gift that I want. I, I feel like I've been given the fortune of giving that gift to others. Like for me, my career and what I do, like, it's always been, I mean, obviously like I benefit from a lot of what I do, like I, you know, all that. But for me, it was always about like, how do I learn and you know, grow and do all these things. So I can share this with others because this is incredible. Like this is the best gift I've ever been given. And now I get, I, it's like my superpower is that I get to give people that gift too. And so that's why for me, fitness is very focused on like celebrating my body, what it can do. Like, yes, it's hard and it should be properly done and adapt. But at the end of the day, like okay, like I'm doing this stuff out of gratitude for what I can do or because I want it to feel good. or I want it to function well, or I want to be healthy. And like, I want to give my, I want to give myself the gift of being able to do the things that bring me joy and physical fitness can bring you that. And I know it can do that for so many other people, whether that's health or performance goals or standing on top of a mountain. Um, it's, it's really awesome to be able to give people that, but like, I always want to lace in the fact that like it comes from a place where I'm like I'm on my body's team. I'm its best friend. We're on the same side and I'm so grateful for it. And for me, yeah, like it's funny because I don't think about it as much anymore um, as I did probably growing up, but I was always so grateful for my body and what it that I had it and I could do sport at all like I was just like this is amazing like this is so cool I wasn't supposed to have that and especially when you know I started to have doctors and like sports medicine doctors tell me you can't do these things start to set limits on me I mean I was as stubborn as they come as a teenager and I was like once you start putting limits on me that's when I start breaking them <laughs> like that's just my 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 natural response is okay like all right well I'm going to show you and so a lot of my life is me doing things and because people said I couldn't do them and I ended up on my feet and it all worked out. Um, so it was a mix of like being grateful for my body, but also like, I want to use my body. I love my body. Let me figure out a way to work with my body, but also screw you. I'm going to do this. I'll
0: show you yeah, <laughs> like, I like kind the- of like, like, <laughs> like the edge to it. Totally. Yeah. And I love like I, I'm really relating also to your desire to share that as well. It's like that's how I feel about everything that we do, like with women's performance or like with feisty in general. It's like I just have this desire to share, like especially with the mental health benefits of of exercise and sport, the strength, the benefits of lifting, right? And how good you know we can feel in our body and stuff like that. Um, do you I want to ask about your PhD too? Is it that same motivation that propelled you to do your PhD? So
1: I have like the story that I wrote in all my graduate school things about like the story of 13, 14 year old Alyssa running on her back roads of her Pennsylvania farm town in the summer, the year after she started playing lacrosse, because in her head, she thinks, okay, well, if I, if I can run a lot, I'll be a better lacrosse player and I'll make the varsity team next year. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a lacrosse player. And in the process of, yeah, I wasn't wrong. Right. Like I was like, okay, like running fitness. I didn't know anything about lifting at that time, but I was just like, I'm going to run a lot this whole summer. I'm going to be the best lacrosse player that I can absolutely be. Cause that's what I do. I'll and I be the best that I can be. Amazing. And in the process of doing that, I was like, you know, cause what 13, 14 year old girl just starts running on their own just because that was me. Um, And, and it's, I started to, you know, I was playing lacrosse that year, so I wasn't like unfit, but I started to like really Find that ebb and flow of like the, my first runner's high and feeling invincible and feeling superhuman and feeling incredible. Well, and just like nothing in the world could stop me. Like I remember joking, like if a bullet came to the air right now, it would stop in front of me and fall to the ground. Like that's how I felt when I was out there on the run. And and I loved it so much. And I remember thinking to myself in my naive, young, underdeveloped brain oh my God, everybody has to know about this. Not knowing that people hate exercise and there's barriers to it and all this stuff, but I'm like, everybody needs this. And so I I spent the rest of high school being obsessed with sport and then eventually learning about nutrition and all that stuff. And like, training after school. And I was the girl, only girl in the weight room type stories and things like that. But I didn't know that I wanted to go into my field really. I wanted to be like an architect and I wanted to go for business. I didn't actually know what I wanted to do when I grew up because I was so, I just wanted to be an athlete. You know what I mean? Like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an athlete and I wanted to go to college to play lacrosse. That's all I wanted to do. And what's, what happened is I went to college to play lacrosse and I ended up having to walk on a different team, a month before the first year of freshman year started because the lacrosse coach, the school I was supposed to go to got fired. And basically because he got fired, my scholarship deal was kind of messed up and it was a more expensive school. And my parents were like, you can't afford to go here anymore. And so that was a whole thing. And I was crying and dramatic. So I walked on one of the best teams in the NCAA division two. And I was one of the worst players on one of the best teams in the country. And what ended up happening is that You know, I kind of had an identity crisis because I was an athlete and all of a sudden I was, I was the most fit girl on the team, but probably like the worst when it came to the hand-eye stuff. And so I kind of had an identity crisis. And I remember I I was going to school for health science and I still identified at this point in my life as not smart, not good at science. I'm gonna fail. I'm I ne- I never identified as a smart person. And I always identified as being bad at science and math. And it, I was an honor student in high school, but my peers just always seemed so ahead of me, and I was so insecure about that. And so I I went into college petrified. Um that I was going to fail. So I got like five tutors and I studied constantly and I didn't really hang out with the team as much. And I just was in the library all of the time. And I was just, I was just so scared of failure. Right. Cause I'd never had to do that. And what ended up happening is that I found that I was really smart. Like, <laughs> so I like <laughs> accidentally found out that I was a really good student. And like, you know what I mean? Like I like, worked so like, it's the traditional me where I work above what's necessary. And then I ended up like finding out. So, you know, I I ended up getting like all A's and a B plus my first semester of college, like highest GPA on the team, like tutoring half the team. And like, I, I, and I found a love for like all that stuff. And I went into college knowing that I was like, I wanted to be like an elite Nike personal trainer. And I remember like Maria Purvis was the head Nike personal trainer <laughs> on the Nike app at the time. And I, she had a degree in exercise science. So I was like, I'm going to be, but it's an exercise physiology. So I went into college. I was like, I'm going to be an exercise physiologist. Mm-hmm. I just thought that meant I was going to be a sports trainer. And they told me to change my degree. I was in the wrong degree. I needed to go to like the sport side of things, not exercise science. And I was like, well, no, it's harder. So it's better. So I should do it. Right. Like that doesn't hurt you to do the harder thing. Like this is my mindset. I'm 18. I'm insane. <laughs> um, And I realized though I'm really good at science. And so I keep kind of going with it and I keep studying and I do really well my next semester of school. And so then I go into the exercise science type courses. And at that point in time, I was like, okay, like I'm going to be, I went back and forth. I was like, oh my god, should I become a doctor or a nurse or a pharmacist now? Cause I thought you had to do that stuff. Not realizing like. I didn't know that exercise sports like science was a thing. Nobody had told that to me. Right. So I took my exercise physiology class that fall, my sophomore year. And then I, I, you know, my advisor luckily was the exercise physiology professor. And so I started to see that there was options to, for a career in exercise science. Like that was a thing, that picture was painted for me. And I started to realize like, oh, those are things that I can do. And so I got into research my junior year of college after I quit lacrosse because I had the least amount of playing time, and the highest GPA. So I was like, well... I'm gonna go chase my future here. Um, (laughs) I guess. Like I was like, okay, it was very hard decision at the time, but um I saw I did research, I kind of saw the gates open of you can get graduate school paid for, and I didn't come from a lot of money. So, like that was huge for me that you can get graduate school paid for. But I also saw that like I didn't know there was a master's PhD. I didn't know any of this stuff. And I was just, oh, that sounds like I'll do that. Like I just was like, Yeah, okay, I'm gonna do that. And so once I realized that you could become a doctor of exercise, I was like, I was like, oh, okay, that's amazing. So I really just kind of followed this path of like, okay, I want to learn as much as I can about exercise and like nutrition and helping people and all that stuff. And I didn't even know what doors it was going to open or where it was going to go. But I just had that cardinal direction of like, I want to learn about as much as I can about this. And then I want to use it to help other people, right? Like that was just like my, my North star and everything. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just hardworking and always moving forward. And when people ask me about like my career and how I ended up where I was, I was like, I always just had a a North star and I kept working really hard and you kind of find your path along the way, rather than waiting for things to come up. Like you have to go to the woods to figure out where the trail is. Like just reading a map doesn't help you get, you know what I mean? Like to the end point or whatever it is. So I just kind of Like worked hard at everything that came in front of me and found my way. And so the PhD thing came later. I didn't even know that was a thing until I got into research and I was like, okay, like I'm going to get my master's and I'm going to get my PhD and I'm going to become an exercise physiologist, like an actual exercise physiologist, not just like an exercise science degree older kind of thing. Which, <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like, like, I do. like I, like I had no idea that that I didn't even know what a PhD was when I walked into undergrad, but I just kind of kept following my path along the way and then kind of accidentally found out I was good at at least my, my area of school, you know what I mean? So to speak. And I just kind of, my life changed a lot because I became the academic rather than the athlete. Um but I was still, you know, doing my own I was still doing my own recreational athletic things and that's a whole part of my journey and story with that too. Once like I quit lacrosse and identifying and like redefining what an athlete meant to me after that fact. And then like self-experimenting with my fitness and all of that. But yeah, no, it kind of was like, I followed like a main thing and what I cared and what excited me. And then I just kept opening door after door after door. Once I figured out what was
0: even in front of me. Isn't to do. that amazing how that happens? Like, I think so many people have that story of like, follow what you love to do and just like go with the process and see what doors open, you know?
1: Yeah. And I still have no, I I was going to say, I still have no idea what I'm doing even next year, but I just have to, you know what I mean? You trust you're going to end up. I just truly believe if you work really hard, you know what I mean? On things that you care about, Mm -hmm. you'll probably land on your feet. Right. So.
0: Yeah. I'm wondering where the interest in female physiology in particular came from. Like besides the fact that you're a woman yourself, like, was there something that you saw in your own training that was missing or like, where was that? Where did that link happen? So by a lot of people
1: I, it's funny. I actually just posted this on Instagram the other day. Like, my main research expertise isn't actually female physiology; it's metabolism. So by nature, I'm a I'm a metabolism and exercise scientist, and I'm actually like my research has always been in metabolism. But what happened was that, um, I kind of it was like kind of twofold by accident, but then kind of like curiosity and like learning more as I went. And so in my master's, I had no idea about like sex gaps and sport and literature and all that stuff. I had no idea that existed. Um, but I worked with, I worked in a lab with a woman and then my other Um, co-mentor was a woman and they did pregnancy research. So I was doing research with them on pregnancy during my time. Like I was assisting with a lot of research projects, helping with data collection and pregnancy. And so I got exposed a little bit to the female physiology stuff with that, but I did my master's project paralleled one of their pregnancy research studies. And it was doing um, a metabolic comparison between black and white American women. And that's where I kind of first did female studies. So I was, that was more of like a racial differences in like postprandial metabolism. So I did that study on women. And then I got to my PhD and I brought the metabolic flexibility, postprandial metabolism thing. And I was doing a dietary intervention at the time. And I ended up basically only recruiting women for it and doing this diet, high protein diet intervention on women. Um, And what happened is at that time, I was like, okay, like I've only been doing these studies on women. I'm exposed to women Then I didn't realize maybe until this point in my PhD, that there's all these gaps and unknowns when it comes to women and men. And also like- why aren't we doing, you know, both sexes in the same study or whatever it is. So then my next study, um, I was trying to classify metabolic flexibility during exercise using this HIT protocol, um, and then doing like a post-perennial response. And I did a sex differences comparison in that study. Cause I was like, okay, well, like I'm going to include men and women in the study. And so that is where I brought in like the sex differences thing. That's actually the first study I ever did men or anything on actually. Um, and so with that, I did have to learn how to like control for the cycle and things like that. And so I made this hit protocol and after I made it, I was looking at this metabolism, metabolic flexibility. And I started to like, kind of get more into the, like, I think this was before it was like trendy, the female fizz stuff, but I personally started to see more of it. And I was like looking more into it and it, and it's funny because like, I got into it cause I was drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak. I was like, oh my God, like, this is like, so great. This is so awesome. Oh my God. I'm going to find out all this information. I, I kind of feel like I landed on it by accident. Like I came across something and I was like, oh my God, like, what if for my dissertation, we took this and we looked at it across the menstrual cycle because it mm-hmm. makes sense, right? Like my first study was looking at it in the early follicular phase, mm-hmm. um, but I was like, but what if we look at how like the menstrual cycle or contraceptives affects this metabolic flexibility parameter that I made. And something that I'm really interested in, in is the effects of fitness status on metabolism. And so I was like, okay, well, like, let's look at, like, I have some interesting data in my um, dissertation that has more to do with showing like fitness status differences in women. And, but I did this, I was like, let's look at, it at the cycle and the oral contraceptives and see if this is a thing. Cause there's very little literature looking at hit across this. And I was like, it makes sense as a next step question. I care about the female fit stuff. Like I really care about, so I essentially, I care more about like women's metabolic health. So that's how I kind of landed in the, that perspective. So like, I originally came at this from like a woman, like, how do we improve or make sure we're taking care of or supporting women's metabolic health? Because I really care about like disease rates and outcomes and women across the lifespan and like how exercise and nutrition can you know, mitigate those and things like that. But that's how I inadvertently landed in like the cycle stuff. And then I myself selfishly was, I'm an athlete. I've always been an athlete since I, in my whole life. Right. Um, I use oral contraceptives. I used to have issues with my cycle when I was younger growing up. And so I came across this literature and I was like, Oh, like, okay, these things parallel each other. And I always think of how health and performance are overlapped where a lot of people think of them as separate, kind of thing. But I kind of wove those into like the same thing. And I was like, so that's kind of how I inadvertently came into it. So I originally came from the metabolism, female, like metabolism type thing. And I really am kind of more of a female metabolism type expert, so to speak. But then I brought in that performance stuff and that's where I really started to dive into that literature and how that, you know, exercise and training in like specifically aerobic performance was different across the menstrual cycle and metabolism was different across the menstrual cycle and what that means from health and performance perspective. <laughs> And that's essentially what became my dissertation at the end of the day was that was like my main take home project. So um, I kind of am really the metabolism girl, um, but like, obviously, like my dissertation was on the impacts of menstrual cycle, oral contraceptives. Um, I'll have two papers that will come on that on. It across like metabolism, and then I'll have one on like cardiovascular responses to hit exercise across the cycle. So I did have that, and I have like a sex differences comparison, but I originally came at it all from the angle of like, let's like improve women's metabolic health. And that's like my postdoc work right now is in postmenopausal women and kind of like metabolism, metabolic health, and improving that with the menopausal transition and stuff like that. So at the end of the day, I care about improving women's health, but women's health is women's performance, right? Like we have to be healthy to perform well. So they're not, they're not, they're, they're not two different things. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I landed where I, where I am.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, how exciting to be <laughs> to be doing that work at this point, you know, um, especially because I feel like and you could tell me if I'm wrong, but like that we're kind of at the beginning in terms of like if women or looking at sex differences has largely been excluded from a lot of the exercise science and the sport science. Like now that we're starting, people are starting to do that research, like there must be a massive amount of like untapped knowledge that we can find. Do you feel like that at working in working in that space? I feel I have two feelings on this. I feel like people really underestimate how much science
1: we do have. And it really makes me annoyed because everyone's fallback cop-out answers. Well, we don't include women in these studies. So how do we even know? And then they use that to like make up hypotheses. And I'm like, that's not how this works. But I also think we have so much potential to prove what we know about women specific and maybe more specific to individual things that we experience. Um, because I always joke that like, you know, women aren't a different species than men. So a lot of like what we know on like, like, we're never going to find out that women don't respond to mechanical Do You know what I mean? Like, that's not, Wait. we're not going to find that out, but we can find out maybe unique things that improve our responses to training and differences between that. Right. But we are just as trainable and as capable, like really when it looks at sex differences stuff, like, you know, it. I think we can still do more, but I think like the sex differences stuff is a little bit more clear than maybe some of the like the intro woman studies, right? Like that's where I think that we have a lot of room to grow when we're looking at like, you know, pregnancy, postpartum, menopause, menstrual cycles, specific like types of PCOS. That's the things where I think that we're gonna see the field be able to expand more and grow and answer more specific questions or repeat things that maybe have been done in males, in these populations to see if they respond differently or like stuff like that. So again, I'm not saying that our field is perfect, but I like to stick up for scientists because I think a lot of people who don't know the body of literature or science are really easy to like scoff off and be like, well, there isn't anything. So like, how can you even say that? Are you the, the, there's nothing. And I was like, well, there, there is there, we have a lot of, we have a lot of papers. We just might not have a lot of papers about every individual topic. Right. But we do have a lot of studies, like the meta-analyses and reviews that are one, like there's hundreds of papers that have been done on women, but it's just, it doesn't mean it's perfect, but we, you know, we have places and things that we can pull from until, you know, the science, is, you know, more clear on the things that we want to do. And we can use informed scientific process to pull and derive what we want to take from those studies and use it appropriately at this time while also knowing there's limitations and this and that, blah, blah, blah. So I, I like to like stick up for science while also being like, yes, like we can do better. We can do more, but also like, it's not like we have nothing. I think we're at the beginning of understanding like more more nuanced stuff specifically. And I know a lot of people here probably want me to talk about the period, like menstrual cycle type stuff. And I think I'm going to ask you next. (laughs) And I think what like we're looking for that is hard. And there's a lot of good call to action, in the literature and stuff that talks about this is we, we don't understand like the minute fluctuations across the month. Right. Because women aren't just cut off phases of like two five ten days or whatever it is right yeah but also like we don't have a ton about long-term performance adaptations with different parts of the cycle but also I think we're going to see more literature about like individual hormone concentrations and how that's impacting things as well come out if the quality of studies improves with time like I think that's what we're going to start to see more um of in the long term and I'm hoping what we're going to see is like Not what everyone thinks where we're going to see this thing where you're like, you're changing up things dramatically all the time, but rather how can you enhance things at different times? You know what I mean? Like, I like to think of it as like enhancement versus people, like a lot of what's being sold on the internet is like this fragility narrative that I'm always debunking, I feel like all the time. And I just don't think that's what the science is going to find. Like, I I, I just don't believe that exercise is detrimental to health unless it's being overdone in most cases. And so like, I think that's what we're going to find is how to fine tune things to the individual based off their hormonal profile and experience, but also like, you know, improving, like and maximizing on things when they might be better served for us rather than like, don't do this because it's bad for you kind of thing. Rather do this because it's extra bonus zoom, zoom, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I don't know.
0: And some of that's just like the perspective or the lens that we bring to it. So I think, and like, you can tell me more precisely about what you're sort of talking about there is this idea that like during the follicular phase, we're like stronger and we can do all these things. And then we're more like men, quote unquote. And then like during the luteal phase, it's like, wah, wah. it's, a, it's yeah, all bad. I like, swear
1: I'm going to write a book called like saves a luteal phase. And, that <laughs> and it's not that there aren't like things that happen and to be considered there, but I just think that, I think the message that we're giving, you know, menstruating individuals is just like 14 days of the month. You're useless. You're broken. You're fragile. You're going to gain fat. You're going to die. You're going to destroy your hormones. Your performance (laughs) is going to tank. Like that's what you're seeing on social media. And I'm like, we have to do better. And, and like, I, I just, it's, I don't know. Like I don't think we're evolutionarily programmed to shut down for two weeks every month. Like that just doesn't make sense, but we can work with our bodies. Um, and you know, not beat ourselves up in the process and, or do things that can like maybe mitigate some of the issues that we feel like we're having to begin with and improve our responses to training during certain times of, you know what I mean? Our cycles, if we're experiencing that.
0: Yeah. And that's like, I mean, I guess that was kind of like, I was a professional athlete for 15 years and I definitely know from like all of that time that there were like, I would say probably for me, it was about 36 hours, like sort of right before my period. It's like a typical time I think for a lot of people where I wasn't going to perform. It didn't mean that I didn't train. It just meant that like, please don't make me do a race in that time (laughs) because I'm not likely to do well. And I always wondered like, Oh, are there things to like, are there ways that I could or that an athlete could mitigate some of the like some of those symptoms that you get, like, I it, I mean, it's different for everyone, but I, those are the kinds of questions I think that I would rather we were asking, like, how do we make it better? You know? Yeah.
1: And so I love talking about improving our symptoms and improving our experience because I think for most people, whether, I mean, there is maybe some argument for more of the cycle thinking stuff when we're talking like elite elite, we're looking at like maybe 1% difference. And this might be the edge that we're getting, but for most people, they're not like doing most of the things that are like improving the little bits of performance to begin with, but everybody can take what I like to call a nutrition forward approach. Cause I think right now the best evidence that we have and the most logical thing we have is what i like to call a nutrition forward approach, right? Rather than worrying about like, I mean, I do have advice that I give for training and stuff like that, but I think like a lot of the symptoms that we can do to improve and, and mitigate some of that, that doesn't mean it's going to erase it entirely, right? Especially like that, that rapid drop in hormones following the late follicular, late luteal phase into the menstrual cycle. Like when we look at the literature, if there is an impairment in your performance, it's coming like right before your period or right when it happens, like that's when we're more so seeing it. Is that coming from psychological perceptions of performance versus true physiological? I think that's getting teased he's out more so in the literature right now there's some evidence that shows that it might just kind of be how you feel rather than your body but that doesn't mean it's invalid do you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but i think like when we think about performance across the cycle I can kind of give you my generic spiel of what I tell people for what we should do, especially from like a metabolic or nutrition forward type. Yeah, perspective. we want the
0: generic spiel.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel, I do. I feel like I've done like 10 menstrual cycle podcasts in the last six months. So I'm like starting to like kind of sound the same on all of them, but everyone, I have the, the spiels better, I guess. Um, so when we think about our, our our menstrual cycle, if, you know, just the quick rundown for the followers who I assume know if you're listening to this podcast, you have your menstrual cycle onset is day like one with your period. So that's day, you know, one, your period starting. Your hormones are at their lowest. She quoted the thing, you're most like a man. I will never say you're most like a man when you're on your period. I do not believe that. Physiologically, you are never like a man. You are still a female or a woman, but your hormones are at their lowest during this time. You're not better or worse because you're a man. You're great because you're a woman. Like that's always great. <laughs> right. like, like that, it just... just... like, I think that is kind of like a, that's a quote unquote thing. And I'm like, I want you to know that you can perform well during your period because you are a woman and or female or you're menstruating individual and you are capable, but your hormones are lower during this time. Then the, you know, about a week later, whether you bleed for the whole week or not, about a week later, your estrogen starts to rise again, kind of gradually up till ovulation. And that is your late follicular phase. So something important to note, I think a lot of people. Forget that your menstrual phase is part of your follicular phase. It's just like they're there two components of early and late. Um, I think a lot of that gets often missed in the social media narrative around things, that is still your follicular phase. And so that up to ovulation is kind of when your hormones are either at their lowest or estrogen is most dominant. It's kind of gradually rising during your period week on to up to ovulation. And then it kind of peaks during that time. Then you have a rise. And some other hormones like luteinizing hormone, follicular stimulating hormone and estrogen with ovulation, kind of what we like to call the main event, um, so to speak, and Mm -hmm. of your, your menstrual cycle. And then you kind of have a small decline again, and then a rapid rising of both progesterone and estrogen during your mid luteal phase. And that's where it peaks. And then it kind of slowly declines until where it goes back down to zero, not zero, but like back to day zero is what I mean, (laughs) back to baseline, um, during your menstrual cycle phase. So even though you're bleeding, your hormones are still at their lowest, they're actually highest, uh, like the seven ish days before the onset of your next menstrual cycle. And so when it comes to your training and your performance and how you feel, um, the follicular phase probably gets the best rap there because estrogen is really great. It's really powerful. It's our friend. Um, we have very early mixed data that suggests like it might be better, but also it's like so mixed right now that we're like, we don't really know, um, if it's conclusive, but a lot of people report feeling better or performing better during this time. It kind of depends on the modality of exercise training that you're doing so to speak. But, um, But then again, like, I don't like to say that in the sense of like, if you have extreme menstrual cycle symptoms that like, okay, well, you should feel bad because you should be training hard because there's tons of gains to be made and stuff like that. Um, but during this, this time period, even though we might have more of a potential for like muscle hypertrophy or, uh, like, you know, exercise performance might be better because estrogen is higher, more predominant or hormones are lower. We do have potentially a higher, like, uh, like inflammatory response to exercise during this time. And I think that gets left out of the conversation mm, often, um, because people mm-hmm. don't think about that. Um, so it might be, but it, I don't think people think about the recovery being bad in their follicular phase, rather they think about it being more poor in their luteal phase, but you just want to be careful with that. So one of the things that you can do in the follicular phase to help improve recovery and, or just the estrogen favoring type demands on our energy systems is that we're a little bit more glycolytic during this time period. So even though estrogen acts on fat in our body, like improves fat pathways and mechanisms of fat oxidation in our muscles and cells, we're going to use our glycogen stores, carb stores, maybe a little bit more rapidly. So during this time period, my advice most of the time is like increase carbohydrates and then it, but there's there's a little bit more nuance to this on like the follicular versus luteal phases so i try to make sure i'm very clear about this in general during this time period increasing your carb intake as a whole like making the proportion of your calories you're taking in um, a little bit more carbohydrate can help with this making sure that you have enough fuel for your exercise training sessions your recovery things like that there is um a study that came out recently that showed that uh, caffeine can help uh, reduce the in, the loss of performance during the menstrual cycle phase compared to that of the, the luteal phase. And because it probably has to do with the contractile properties of muscle that caffeine has. Um, So you can try toying around with things like pre-workout caffeine, increasing overall carbohydrates. In general, there's not a ton of things that you have to do really in this phase to like feel your best because most people generally don't feel too bad other than your menstrual cycles, like general symptoms. Um, But aerobic exercise, yoga, movement exercise in general does appear to help reduce some of the symptoms of your cycle. So if you can get into the gym and you can keep moving, you do have the potential to have good workouts during this period of time pun intended, um, and, or push it as you get closer towards that ovulation time point, so to speak. Um, but my, my general recommendation there is always just like, Hey, like maybe increase the proportion of carbs in your diet, try caffeine, um, pre-workout as a way to like boost your performance during that time. If you feel like, especially if you're trying to like, you have a race or your performance and you feel like that's impairing, especially that very early menstrual cycle type thing. Um, those are kind of the follicular is kind of easier. I and guess. that
0: could actually like that could have a knock-on effect though right like if you're recovering better your glycogen better during that phase right it's probably going to help like the next few days or, or week mm-hmm. too right so it's yeah because like, yeah, right you want to yeah.
1: yeah, yes and <laughs> also like you if you're like carb loading you need more carbs during this phase to maximize your carb loading potential so mm-hmm. don't be afraid to nest like and it doesn't like i think people always worry like oh my god do i need more calories well assuming you're eating enough calories which often typically female athletes are not so mm-hmm you know, that's your first step. Like I can give you my pyramid scheme here in a second too. My pyramid spiel is like really first and foremost, before you do anything cycle synky, you should make sure you're eating enough and following a good training program. Cause then none of this matters. But like, if you were like an elite athlete or you're pretty dialed in, this is where this stuff applies. But if you're not eating enough macronutrients, you have you know, loss of menstrual cycle, you're not ovulating, then none of this really matters. Your, your impacts on performance and recovery are down regulated to begin with. So start there, but assuming you're eating enough, increasing like the percentage of carbohydrates in your diet during this time may be advantageous. Um, just because of like the more, carbohydrate demands of this phase. And again, that will improve subsequent workouts. And if you are someone who feels better and handles more volume or can push their RPEs higher during this phase or paces or intensities, you might be depleting glycogen more. So like, don't be afraid to replenish that appropriately. So you feel like you can perform well across this whole phase.
0: As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, Shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect and I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk Pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to LagoonSleep.com forward slash performance and take the two minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code performance for 15% off your first purchase. That's code performance at LagoonSleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off. And the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. You literally have nothing to lose. For decades, running shoes have been researched I've personally been running in the Alma Cruz, and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Heddas at Heddas.com and use the code feisty20 for 20% off. That's feisty20 at Heddas.com, and it will all be in the show notes.
1: Now the luteal phase, you know, our, are- our dreaded evil stepsister that we always need on <laughs> yeah. is the, I think this is where we can use more of these approaches to help, you know, reduce these impacts. And so we have to think about the luteal phase in three phases. People always lump it together as one thing. You do not need to spend day 14 through day 28 or whatever your cycle length is, like in a fetal position ball. Um, you have like... <laughs> your hormones aren't super high that first like initial few days after ovulation. And then it's slowly rising to where it peaks around about a week after you ovulate, um, on average day 21, but not everyone like has that at the same point in time. And then it's slowly declining. So we have early, mid and late, luteal phases. And I think that you like, you're probably going to feel fine and good and don't really need to do a ton in that early luteal phase. You probably feel pretty similar to how you felt like around ovulation or that week before, but it's during that high hormone mid luteal phase into late luteal phase, where we start to feel maybe more of those negative impacts of progesterone being more prominent and, or hormones dropping back down. And so this is where progesterone is kind of more of a catabolic hormone which means it's more breaking down may have a negative impact on muscle tissue and so this is where if you i always recommend increasing your protein intake during this phase if you're not already eating high protein but my first go-to recommendation is just make sure you're eating enough protein across the month and the recommendations for alterations here with nutrient intake isn't crazy like it's maybe like a like 8 15 10 grams a day difference. So it's not a huge magnitude. It's not like you can get away with eating like 20 or 50 grams more or less between phases. But what I like to recommend generally is during this phase, if you are going to prioritize like a post-exercise protein shake, maybe do it during this phase after your workouts and, or making sure you even have those amino acids in your bloodstream prior to a workout, right? Like we always think about post-workout protein, but a pre-workout protein actually might be more important. So making sure that you have whether it's from food or supplement in your bloodstream prior to your activities and you're working out, but making sure you're either increasing or prioritizing high quality protein during this phase so that you can get the maximum recovery benefit from any training that you're doing during this time. Um, and then when it comes to our metabolism, we're a little bit more reliant on fat oxidation, potentially like a little less insulin resistant, although that shows to be more worse in people who have, you know, elevated weight status and, or lower activity levels. So generally fit active people might not feel that, drastic fluctuations that we see, um, or some people report. Um, but in general, what I recommend is that you might want to, you might crave some fats during this time. And That's totally okay. You can eat a little, you can kind of shift that percentage a little bit more, but what I would do is I would time your carbohydrates to be pre-workout, or if you're doing like a long endurance thing, making sure you're eating adequate intra-workout, um, carbohydrate, because there's a few studies that have shown like time trial performance, um, fasted versus fed. And so this is a huge thing. When you look at fasted versus fed literature Mm -hmm. on exercise performance in the follicular versus luteal phases, this is in my dissertation somewhere. Mm -hmm. Nutrition ends up masking a lot of performance differences that we see, especially in aerobic or cardiovascular outputs. Yeah. Yes. So I, I can't overstate how much food in feeding status and nutritional status might override some of those negative. So there might be negative things if you're looking at like fasting performance data, but if you are feeding women in these studies, carbohydrate, um, some of those, those, a lot of those differences go away. Like the magnitude of them aren't as, as great because they have carbohydrate available in the bloodstream. So like carbs are like really important and powerful. I, there's a statement, I think somewhere that's like I think it's like oral contraceptives, feeding status, then menstrual cycle or something about like one of these things. I'd have to find the exact quote, but it's a great quote where I have where it's like basically like, yeah, none of this matters if they're fed. Like it's just like I basically like spend this whole time talking about these differences and you're like, oh, you're fed. So performance differences like really are reduced with that. Which that's really great. Right. Um, So I. I always recommend like making sure you're prioritizing like pre-training carbohydrate feeding and, or like endurance athletes. Like if you can tolerate it with your gut, either time it that you're doing your, your intra-workout nutrition, or maybe bump it up a little bit just because like having carbohydrate available, especially when you're exercising, where you have like your muscle, um, glycogen uptake is higher rather than just relying on insulin alone. So you can use the benefits of exercise to pull into your muscle and use it for, you know, your, your muscle co- contractility and things like that. And so, yeah, so carbs, but you don't like need to maybe prioritize as much of the whole day, but like you can eat a little bit more fat versus carbs. You still like, you know, you still need adequate carbs. I'm not saying go keto for like a month, like a week out of every month, but you can kind of shift the preference a little bit, but keeping adequate carbohydrates, you might want to, you know, increase like more fibrous carbs during this time. Cause that might help with like some of your GI stuff that you have going on later in the menstrual cycle. Mm. You know what I mean? Like closer to your, your things like that. Um, But then in general, we our metabolism is slightly elevated during the luteal phase as well. So I think, especially since women and athletes tend to restrict, they might not be, you know, responding to that increased hunger or in that increased drive. And like, I I really think a lot of things with the menstrual cycle are magnified by being underfueled. Um, I, I feel like that stuff's probably more magnified from being underfueled fueled and, or like, you know what I mean? Just like depending on that. So it's not a huge increase. It's like two to 12%, which accounts to like 50 to 130 calories a day, give or take maybe 200 if you're on the high end of that and your energy expenditure is really high. So it's maybe just a more of a snack, but that can be like, I don't think people realize how much small differences in energy intake versus expenditure can drop hunger in people and, or perceptions of like recovery or exercise fatigue or performance, right? Especially if you're eating an energy deficit and then you're in more of deficits. So, so in this phase, also don't be afraid to increase your intake slightly. And that might just be like a perfect time for a pre-workout snack. That's a little bit like, you know what I mean? Like an apple and peanut butter, or, well, I usually don't recommend peanut butter before workouts, but you know what I mean? Like an extra snack of like, carbs with maybe a little bit of fat. If you're craving it, you can have some dark chocolate, but also have some carbohydrates timed around your workouts, things like that. Um, because if you're feeling more hungry and, or you're feeling under recovered, you know, a little bit of food, a little bit more like carbohydrate around your workout, a little bit more protein will help with muscle recovery. Cause even like eating adequate carbohydrate during like long endurance training will improve your recovery from that session regardless of how it improves your like nutrition availability and performance during that session. Like if you eat more carbohydrate and you're adequately yeah. fed during your long events, I'm sure you know this, you recover better the next day, you bounce back better because your muscles aren't having to work as hard when they have that like glucose available. So like, again, we're thinking about potentially having poor recovery during this phase, maybe more muscle protein breakdown. So how do we, you know, reduce that so that we can still make progress, still make gains or still feel good in response to our training and progress. And nutrition is a great way to do that. Um, I also really like to recommend um, like electrolyte supplements and, or making sure that you have a balance of that because we do have some differences in like a thermal regulation. So our ability to regulate heat. Um, So you might feel like if you're, you're sweating more because you're not able to dissipate heat as well, but you might have more electrolyte loss because of that increased sweat rate. So maybe utilizing cooling protocols, if you're doing like an outdoors type event, and then, you know, making sure you're replenishing adequately and having like, you know, your electrolytes that you need within your diet. And then the other thing that might be impacted here is like kind of sleep quality. And so there's some emerging evidence on things like tart cherry juice as a way to help improve like natural melatonin, um, as well as tart cherry juice is coming out as a great supplement that might help improve muscle recovery in general following training. So this might be a time to toy around with that, whether around sleep or post training. So you can maybe improve some of that. If you're someone who feels like your training is impacted during this time or more negatively impacted, um, following this. And so those are kind of some of my like, and there's like some other stuff tossed around the literature that might work like fish oil or curcumin. And I don't know if curcumin has as much evidence as maybe like if fish oil is like probably a pretty safe bet to take, maybe maybe magnesium, things like that. Like there's some other supplements that are tossed around that might help during this time. I don't like giving blanket statements for things that people might be deficient in that I think they should get tested like iron or vitamin D, magnesium, stuff like that. I try to be wary about giving like a blanket statement, but a lot of female athletes are deficient in those types of things, which if you are supplementing with them appropriately might improve your performance and, or your menstrual cycle symptoms in relation to your performance. So like get blood work, work with your doctor, things like that. I'm not going to say everyone go take this exact protocol because we're all different and our biomarkers are different. So there are other supplements that you might take that help may help reduce even your symptoms to begin with during this time, if you're deficient and, or, you know, might improve these things. And then in general, um, When we think about going into that late luteal phase, you know, just working with your body best as you can. Um, one of the things that I like to think about during this phase is because we kind of know that training might be impacted coming towards the end of our cycle and the beginning of our next cycle is one. I generally recommend for all things, cycle syncing at this point in time for pretty much most people is using rating of perceived exertion to, to adjust your volume and intensity across mm-hmm. the month based on mm-hmm. your own perceived experience, because it will indirectly adjust for a lot of that. But then you're in charge, like it's your own perceived thing. But if you are someone who has like, you knew that you had like a day, probably like a day and a half a day before your period started that you were going to feel really terrible. And I generally recommend to people, I'm like, before you implement anything, track your cycle for three to six months, get to learn your patterns, make sure you're eating enough, fueling yourself, taking care of sleep, stress and a training program. Like you know, if you track your cycle and you feel terrible all the time, but you're not taking care of those things, take care of that first. But when you start to identify your own patterns, start implementing these things and seeing if they help and they work for you. But also I think people like resort to just immediately taking an entire week off training. And I'm like, what if we front and back load our weeks? What if we adjust our workouts, like higher intensity days or earlier in that week, then later in that next week and then flop for the next week. Like that's where I think like, that's where we can work with ourselves. So we can adjust like, okay, well, when am I doing my harder workouts? When do I, when would I prefer to do well I know these are the days that I typically feel the worst can I put an easier workout during that day you know what I mean and or can I you increase food intake carbs tr- play with caffeine things like that hydration st- strategies um in order to see if maybe it's just a physiological feeling crappy that I just need something to support my body during that time and or you know like again if you feel that way, you feel that way. You are, you know, your body best, but like, these are ways that typically can help reduce that because sometimes you might have to perform during these phases and we don't want it to ruin our whole life. But also if you're going to keep, there's a difference between like performance and training and long-term training adaptations and things like that. And if you're thinking of your long-term progress, you have to think about how you're going to work with your body. So you can get your body to do the things that you needed to do to make forward progress, but also like You're going to do, right? Like, don't put your hardest training session the day before you get your cycle every single month. If you know that you don't want to do during the day or that you feel crummy or that all the caffeine carbs in the world don't make you feel better. Like that's okay if that's your lived experience, right? Um, but start with those things and then say, okay, well, how can I auto-regulate my training in a way that works with me and allows me to adjust for how I feel day to day, especially because when we think a lot about recreational female athletes, they're moms. They work a full-time job. They're busy. Like you have a lot of things that are impacting how you're going to feel in your performance. Your hormones are a piece of that puzzle, but I, I it's they're not this, they're not the main character that people are making them out to be you're a complex human being who has a lot of things that can impact your performance so don't miss the forest for the trees and what that means for your long-term adaptation and or like performance goals so to speak
0: yeah and I think sometimes you know like what we're seeing on social media what you're commenting about there where like people are seeing only like let's 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 cycle sync in all of our training right (laughs) right now is it's almost like a time where we're making up for the, the years in which we didn't know anything or where coaches didn't pay attention to any of that or, you know, so it's like, oh, finally, like something that seems to make sense. Right. But like you say, it's like, that's like, our cycles are a factor of what's going to impact our our performance or our training on on any given day. Um, and I, I didn't realize, like, I had not thought of it that like being well-fed, like being fed, basically what you said was like, if you're, if you're fed well enough, you may mitigate all of those. And I'm thinking, looking back on my entire like professional triathlon career going, huh? (laughs) Like, cause it's hard to stay fed when you're doing endurance training anyway. Oh, I know know. it. I know it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) No, I don't diet. I just train for ultras and eat 3000 calories a day and still and still hypoglycemic every other day of my life. So yeah, I I get it. Um, and I think like to the point of what you were saying before, it's like, I, I sympathize for why this is so trendy. Like, even though I make fun of it ruthlessly and debunk it, it's because of, I think it's, it's hyper swing to the point that we're repackaging old dieting advice in a new package that feels personalized to women. And that's the issue that I have with it. But I think the issue is the reason that it it became trendy is important like we should be talking to women or people about their menstrual cycle and like educating them on it and what it means and how to understand it or even i think understanding why you feel the way you do or how it happens not saying you need to overhaul your whole life but hey there might be some explanation for why you feel that way and like it makes people feel less crazy or like you know what i mean like they understand themselves because i think a lot of people especially you know, women are historically taught to ignore their bodies because they're restricting Mm -hmm. them. They're over pushing them. They're overexerting them. And I think that it's a hyper response to the fact that like, in general, women are tired. Women want a break and we're giving them permission to take a break. You know what I mean? To like, to, to do less to rest.
0: Yeah. Yeah, For a whole 14 days or whatever.
1: (laughs) But I think it's important Mm -hmm. to let people know that like, you've always had permission to rest. And a lot of this is in hyper swing to the over restrictive diets and over compulsive high intensity exercise obsession. And if you are following a good training program, you're eating adequately, you're fueling yourself, you're periodizing your training, you have recoverable volume, you have a program that balances high and low and moderate intensity appropriately. A lot of that stuff you felt like when you felt like your hormones were dysregulated or you felt run down or you felt really crummy, like a lot of that, like a lot of these influencers that are pushing this. At least from this, like, there's two types of cycle sync, right? Like, I'm talking about again, like the the really hyper response to this versus like, hey, you might have a little bit of hypertrophy gains during this phase, but the data isn't conclusive yet, type thing. Right. Like, is is this hyper response to people misusing exercise and underfueling? and that's why they had this dysregulation that they had, and then the reason that cycle syncing works so well is that one, you're just listening to yourself and responding to how your body feels, but two, you're pulling back volume and therefore your energy availability of energy available for your body to recover is higher, even if you didn't change your food intake. And so like, I, 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 but the lay person doesn't see this, right? Like you don't know energy availability and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of time that's what's, what's happening here. And it's, it's just that you're training at a, more recoverable volume and eating more or having more calories available for your body to recover and feel better. And I would hypothesize that a lot of people feel worse when they're in a less healthy state. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like your cycle probably feels more serious in those fluctuations when you're like not really taking care of your body and you like, you're you're not sleeping well, you're not eating enough. You're not eating well. You're not managing your stress versus like, yes, when you are more holistically well, you're going to have changes across the month, but it might not feel as like big of a deal when you're actually using a training program and nutrition strategy that is supporting you rather than like constantly working against you all of the time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I had about 6,000 other questions I, w- I wanted to ask you, but I'm really conscious of of your time. Um, Just to draw a line under, like, cause I think we talked a lot about periods. Um, Just to, like, what about birth control? And I know I, that's probably just like a massive question, but if you could just like for women on birth control, how does that, what we just talked about, how does I know, that change? I need to
1: put out more birth control literature in science. It's just, everyone's so obsessed with the menstrual cycle right now. It's just like, I feel like, but I do have a few birth control things on my TikTok, honestly, of all things. Um, I'm on birth control, so I don't know why I don't talk about it more. But the thing that I think is important for the takeaway with women on birth control is um, that... Generally, your fluctuations aren't so different across the month. If you're on a pill, most of the science is done on a pill. Every when I, If you go and read my TikTok, you'll see every single person say, what about this specific birth control type? And I'm telling you right now, we're probably never going to have a conclusive study on what the effects of every individual birth control type is. We're going to have general classifications of types. The pill is the most commonly used in literature and research studies because it's kind of the easiest you can count. Um, and but what we're, but if you're like on an IUD, you might just have normal hormonal fluctuations, depending on the type of IUD you have. So you might actually be similar to the menstrual cycle recommendations, except for you're going to just have to figure out when your cycle starts. If you don't bleed every month, um, if you're on a hormonal IUD, you might just have continuous hormonal, like you might be exposed continuously to that hormone. So like that I would go based off the response of that hormone traditionally. And like what people recommend in the literature, mm. it's, these are like my caveats to each type yeah. that there is. Then there's like yeah. the progesterone only pills and, or devices that are inserted into you and, mm. or the progesterone versus mix versus estrogen bar dominant type pills and things like that, like the combined pill. And so all in all, that's like my disclaimer. Cause everyone's like, what about mine? What about mine? What about mine? I'm like, right. I don't know. Um, <laughs> a lot of literature is done on pills. We do see maybe some potential impairments and things like maximal oxygen uptake plateau during VO2 max. You might have higher lactate accumulation. Um, there might be like the opposite effect where you have more of like a detrimental response during your, like your your active pills versus your, your sugar pills where estrogen starts to rise towards the end of your sugar pills. So it's really nuanced and messy. We do see like collectively that there might be a, a higher, like uh inflammatory response or C reactive protein response to exercise training and like muscle tissue breakdown with birth control users. So you might just need to prioritize recovery a little bit more. And I say this not to be scary because again, I'm on birth control and I care about my performance and my muscle and my strength. But like, you have to weigh that in the context of your own personal health and contraceptive decisions. Right. Um, and then we also see that with like progesterone based pills versus estrogen based pills, especially estrogen based pills that have a slightly higher estrogen intake. Um, we see like maybe actually greater muscle gains with the estrogen, higher estrogen based birth control pills. Um, do we have data to confirm that that muscle is functional? It doesn't appear to translate to improve strength at this time, but sometimes strength, well, strength and muscle are related. They're not always perfectly related. So we, we don't know if it's like good muscle versus just like more muscle, so to speak, um, where progesterone based pills or birth controls in general, because it's kind of like the luteal phase where it has a little bit more breakdown. You might have, they, they, There does seem to be a little bit of a blunted muscle gain effect. So I would really prioritize protein and recovery strategies for those individuals using that. I get people from TikTok who find me on Instagram all the time who don't follow me, who just say what birth control should I take if I care about my gains? And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you <laughs> what birth control to take. Cause that is a yeah. lawsuit waiting to happen. But I want to give the dis- same disclaimer here that like, I don't want people to freak out and think that like, Oh, doc list said that I'm going to like lose all my muscle or kill all my gains. Like again, make the best informed. Cause like I, it's like 50, like 48 to 52% of active females take a birth control pill and, or use a contraceptive. We're talking like a large majority of people. So, like it's not something that like should be scoffed over but there are some differences in that um the x I do have an older podcast episode on birth control effects. If everyone wants to listen to it, I can try to put birth control stuff out as uh, well. Um, but it kind of just depends. It might be that like really high maximal oxygen, aerobic, anaerobic type stuff that it might be harder. It might be more blunting and or maybe muscle recovery. You might have a higher lactate accumulation, but it is kind of mixed. So if anything, it's like no different or maybe slightly decreased depending on the parameter of what we're looking at. But again, we're talking about small differences that may not matter unless you're like an elite athlete who's worried about like minutes, seconds time, so to speak, um, for the average person. And I don't want to downplay like the average woman's experience, but like your stress and your child waking you up in the middle of the night and your inconsistent protein intake is more of an impact on these things than a lot of that. Um, so again, we need to like zoom out on that. Uh, but yeah, I think the muscle gain one is probably one of the more clear ones when it comes to progesterone-based pills. And it's important to read between the lines on literature too, because people lump all the pills together and say that the pill kills your gains when it really doesn't that much, as much like it's, it's the type. So it is, the birth control literature is really messy, but for the most part, for the people who are on a birth control, I would say that my same advice for you is to eat adequate nutrition, eat a high protein diet, eat enough carbohydrates that match your, your activity level. You probably don't have, a ton of fluctuations to worry about, but if you are on a pill or a non-hormonal IUD and you have some changes across the month, my, it's the same recommendations as anything else is like manage how you feel and keep track of that and, you know, keep track of those symptoms. And I like, I only get a cycle, you know, my fake cycle. I can't say it's real. Cause mm-hmm. everyone will be like, it's a breakthrough bleed. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you know what I mean? Like, I know I'm, I'm ovulatorily suppressed. That's the point, but like, um, You know, I, I, I know that sometimes I get more symptoms that are more traditional to a normal menstrual cycle. The few times a year I have that versus others. And I know like what I have that happening. I might adjust some of my things that I know that are personally affected for me when that's coming, but I don't like stop training altogether. You know what I mean? So like it just pay attention to what you know is to your body, but there's generally a lot less kind of recommendations because you are controlling your hormones when you're on an oral contraceptive. So if the impacts are happening, they're happening at like across the board. So So it's like, you can't really do anything about it other than like, take care of your body, sleep, recover, you know, take care of yourself and pay attention to your own response. Um, And, or make sure you are making your medical decisions based on your personal needs for contraceptive and your health between you and your OB and not just because of gains. You know what I mean? If that's like the driving thing, unless you know, you really want to, but I always like to give that caveat. Like I'm not trying to give people birth control advice and I'm really against fearing people out of birth control. I think you should have honest conversations about it. I think that's an issue in the industry as well. Like that's your personal choice, but I always also like to say like progesterone rises pretty rapidly during the first trimester of pregnancy. So like, there's, and that is not the best for gains either. So like, that's always like my caveat of like, yeah, like, but being pregnant would probably be worse for my gains than my birth control. So like for me, my birth control is like the better of the two evils for me yeah. at this point in time. So that's kind of like my, I feel like my super disclaimer on birth control. Cause I know that's a pretty inflammatory topic for a lot of people, but that's like my most like neutral Switzerland white flag type take on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there might be impairments in your performance, but for the most part, you're not going to have to super track across your month as meticulously as maybe someone with a more natural cycle.
0: Right. And I love, like, you know, I feel like everything that you said about that and about like cycle syncing with training is sort of like, we don't need to panic. (laughs) First of all. And like, I hear like the RPE piece coming back into play again here with birth control. I know that's true for me. Like I have an IED. Um, and I went from like, pro athlete focus on performance to like, okay, yeah. Like I still want to, like now I do a different sport. So it's like, I still want to improve at that sport, but I'm not focused on it. And I only quote unquote train once a day. And, you know, and if I just feel shitty one day, like, okay, it's good to know. Okay. Where am I on my cycle? Is there something I could do you know, next time. Like I might just loosely pay attention, you know? Yeah. And And I think people think that
1: like, I poo poo on it. Like I'm saying like, there's, you should not care at all. There's no effect whatsoever. Ignore it. It's all dumb. And I'm like, I, I, people take me saying that like the extreme cycle syncing advice is me saying that women are men. We are the same, like, Push yourself to you burn out, and I'm like, I've never said that. And if you listen to my advice closely, I am kind of inadvertently telling you how to adjust things in response to your cycle. But I'm not saying like, okay, only do hit this week, and only do high lifting this week, and only do like low reps this week, and only do yoga this week. Like that is, and you were an elite athlete, right? Like you're not changing your training. Type every single week. You're right. like <laughs> you're That's not so being true. like yeah. I'm not going to train for the triathlete this week. I'm going to do Pilates all week. Yeah, <laughs> because in the video phase. Like you're not going to do that, right? So, yeah. like, how can we get women to continue to train and work to their goals and their sport? But and to tie back to like what we were saying earlier is that I understand the response. This is because like for so long women felt left out of the conversation of like fitness and sport and exercise. But we're not saying that you. Your cycle or your hormones don't matter. We're saying that it's unique to you. Like they hear when you say like that one size fit all advice isn't true. They hear us saying, oh my God, you're ignoring me or you're neglecting women. You hate us. And I'm like, I'm literally saying this is so unique to you that it's unique to you. You know what I mean? Like it is a hundred, and that's why we see people who are like, well, this advice makes sense because this is my experience. But then if you read the comment sections of any other post, they're like, that's not my experience. Some women feel worse in the ov- during ovulation. Some people feel totally fine during the luteal phase. Like some people feel great during their periods Some people feel terrible. So, like, I think like we have to hear past the noise to realize that we're asking, you know, people to pay attention to their own bodies and listen to their bodies and work with their bodies, get on the same team with their body, not like, nope, ignore everything it's all fake shut it down like I I think people hear that immediately when you're like this isn't true but I'm like if you read between the lines of like what me or like professionals who are usually echoing similar things in the space we're saying no like listen to your your body it should be individual that's the best advice we have at this time and like then we'll, we
0: can go from there mm-hmm. I love that well like it's uh, you're very um I love like your nuanced approach, and it's it's like yeah, it's just very, very, very good advice for for everyone. Um, so thank you, thank you the, so much. I'm the queen of
1: nuance, so yeah. if you want straightforward, simple answers. You're not gonna yeah. get them from me unless it's to take your creatine and do cardio, and then I'm gonna be like, yes, you should. Do oh yes, yes, you should <laughs> do all like, of those
0: things. <laughs> I wish I'd I wish I had found creatine sooner. Like it's like one thing that's like whoa, changed. changed everything.
1: I know, and if women take your creatine, I'll say that here too. That yeah, females and take your creatine. So, yeah. um. Anyway, Absolutely. yes. Okay, that's, that's so Alyssa, for another day.
0: <laughs> yeah, Alyssa, where if folks want to hear more from you, where do we find you?
1: Yes, yeah, so I am Docless Fitness. Um, kind of across the board. My Instagram is where I have probably the most hangout, where I hang out the most. I do have a TikTok, which I will real dump on or, or video dump on like once a month. Um but I do have a lot of menstrual cycle stuff on my TikTok. Um, but then on Instagram, docless fitness, YouTube, docless fitness, DoclessFitness.com, You can find my eBooks, training programs, all that stuff. Um, my podcast is the messy middle podcast. And honestly, I have a lot of information on the menstrual cycle, but really like what I talk about market and sell and is really resistance and endurance training combined hybrid type training. So if you're interested in that, that's more so my, my actual business niche. Um, I'm an exercise physiologist by training. So I, that's kind of what I do. I am a strength and endurance type coach. Um, so that's like what you will actually more so find for me. I have nothing to offer you for female physiology. This is just my public service to women by sharing this information on all these podcasts. Cause I think it's important to get it out. So, but I do, if you go to my website, I have all my major swipe posts organized by female physiology, and you can find all that information there as well as other podcasts I've been on where I've talked about this topic, all linked on my website. So just go to docklessfitness.com and you'll find everything.
0: Cool. Well, you know, we ha- we might have to have you back. Cause we have a lot of endurance athletes on this podcast who we've been encouraging to lift, to start lifting. And so who listen to this podcast. So I feel like, um, we, that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. Muscle hamster runner. Team. That is me. That's, that's my specialty. How oh, much, how far can you run with the highest
1: amount of muscle mass? And that's, that's, that's <laughs> me like, mid-pack dad squad on those ultras, right? <laughs> right. Perfect. Now. But, Yes. I'm, I, am i am a big proponent of resistance training for runners and cardio for all the meatheads. So yes.
0: Awesome. I love that. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much and enjoy your time at the gym this evening and, um, yeah. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy, the more you sweat. So they are secure and don't slide down your face. Even when you're running in hot conditions, no matter what sport you do, Tefosi has shades for you, whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love. So I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to TafosiOptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at TafosiOptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you.